Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. I'm going to share a lot of stories, and I, and I hope that's okay with you. I, I don't want to give you a bunch of theories. I want, like John says and like Peter says, I want to tell you about what I've seen with my own eyes, what I've touched with my own hands. I want to bear witness to the power not any cleverly devised fables or some crazy philosophy about what God is, but I want to tell you what he's done. And my, my predominant calling, Pastor Shedlett and I actually had a meeting about this, is as a storyteller. My number one gift is as a storyteller. I didn't even know that until she said it. I, I <laughs> Sitting there doing it, you know, and doing it all the time, pumping out stories it's, and curating stories, emotional Stories. I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me once, you don't have emotions, son. You, like, are an emotion. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, that's in jest. And, and you'll find that God really does have such a personality. Right? Yeah. And that's what I hope to relate to you today. Because I want to talk to you about the anointing that you have. Yeah. The anointing that God has given to you. And so as I talk about what he's done in me, it's not just to say, look what God has done in me and glorify myself. It's because I'm bearing witness to the same thing that he's doing right now in you. For some of you, you'll say, amen. Yes, I've been through that exact thing. For some of you, it's going to be an invitation to embrace this anointing. Because John says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And it teaches you all things. You know all things. But... It's not all right here because this is being transformed. It's all right here because this has been born again, right? Uh, so I am asking for God's mercy to get through this as fast and as much of a time-honoring way as I possibly can. Uh, and, and hopefully he'll lead me in cutting some things out if I need to cut it out. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, so I'm just going to pray one more time for my own sake. Father, I thank you so much for the witness of your word, for the witness of the testimony that you've given me to share today, and for the witness of the Holy Spirit right here, right now, to bear witness with these hearts that you have given every one of us an anointing. The same anointing that you poured on the head, Jesus Christ, is trickled down to this entire body, to every single cell of his body, every person who has declared that he is Lord, has this anointing. Every one of us, without exception, no matter if you feel like it or not, I promise you. And that is what we're going to get into today. Romans 8, 15. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The first time I read that, after really coming into faith, I think I spent about three hours crying. Because... For me, I love my dad, but I grew up with him in Connecticut. I was in Ohio. He was about 12 hours away from me. I didn't see him a lot. And I also have forgiven my stepfather and even loved my stepfather, but he was angry. <laughs> and there was a lot of hurt sewn into my brothers and I from him. So when it comes to father, there was quite a void in my heart. If you ask Juliana or I, my wife, if you, some of you know, what it means to have a father before Jesus, we might not have a very good answer for you. And for some of you, that's probably the same experience. And even if you had a perfect father, that's the thing. Even if you had a great, not a perfect father, but a great father, because there's no perfect man, it still is a shadow of what this father is. Yeah. It's a shadow. There's no way, because no matter what, human beings will somehow let you down. Whether they meant to or not, because a lot of times we project expectations onto them that can't possibly be met. But Jesus, but God, he is light. In him there is no shadow of turning. And so this father, this father is just so different. So Psalm 68, 5 to 6 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. It's going to be like this the whole time, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to cry a lot. <laughs> Is God in his holy dwelling? God sets the lonely in families. He leads the prisoners with singing. And we bear witness. That's my mother-in-law right there. And uh, the same way that Juliana lost 
her father uh, when I came to meet Juliana and her mom, Josephine. Uh, there were, that void was in the family, and God has revealed himself as exactly this, a father to the fatherless and, uh, and one who considers himself to be married to the widows. And it's manifest in them, and we bear witness. So as I was preparing for this message, <laughs> the very first thing God brought to my remembrance was this precious encounter that, that might be one of them. I mean, they're all so significant, right? God does something in everyone. But this marked me so much. And I had just left, I was working at Genji, the Japanese steakhouse. I was the Caucasian sensation, the great white chef. Yeah. Oh, often tempted to put on eyeliner and, uh, and just try to play the part more, but they accepted me as I was, which was amazing. Uh, but the days were long there, and I would work these 13-hour shifts cooking, you know. So I get back to my apartment at this time, and I'm so tired, and I'm popping off my nasty, soggy boots, and, uh, and I get to my room, and I sit down, um, and this is what happened. All of a sudden, unevoked, like I wasn't, Jesus, come talk to me at all. In fact, I wasn't even praying, wasn't in that state of mind. I sat down, and it was as though my room was transformed. The, the presence of a father was so thick and tangible in my room that I couldn't even ignore it. In fact, I didn't even know how to define it until I experienced it for a little bit. And then I was like, father? All of a sudden, I remembered precious moments with my biological dad when I was a child, and he would sing me to sleep. And I did have some of those moments with my dad. I'm so grateful for them. He, was, he would often sing us uh, Phil Collins songs. That was his jam, Phil Collins. And he would sing us to sleep. And I loved that. And the safety that I felt in those evenings with my father singing me to sleep. Uh, and I, I'm telling you, it was almost like my bed, it was like I could see the bed sheets back from that memory. And it was like the Holy Spirit was pulling on that memory to manifest something so tangible to me. And that's when I said, oh my God, it's you, God. <laughs> and I said, Father, what, what, literally, I didn't know what else to say. Almost like Paul, when he got knocked off his horse, it's like, what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Don't know what else to say. So I said, Lord, what is it? What do you want? And then there in the darkness of my room, like a projector, Jesus, I saw the world. It, it was like the world coming out of the shadows of the universe, of the heavens in the back. And then I saw slowly the North American continent became the hair of Jesus. And Central America became his neck. And South America became his shoulder. And he said, this that we have, I want this for the whole world. I want them to know me as father. And it marked my heart because I realized, like, this is the God we serve. And this is the calling that he's called. Like it says, many are called, but few are chosen. I sometimes think, and, and I'm not saying that you should take this, uh, take it with a grain of salt. I sometimes wonder if you couldn't almost say, everyone is called, but few are chosen. But the Bible does say that he desires all men to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It does. So his message, the arm of the Lord, the, the message, the gospel has gone out to all. He wants everyone to come into this relationship. That's why he's called the spirit of adoption, right? The spirit of adoption. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So by the grace of God and by the power of his spirit, that is my prayer is that no one will leave here today without, like it says in Romans 8.15, their heart crying out, Abba, Father. I want to bear witness to that. I'm going to try to go faster, I promise you. No. <laughs> so no matter how long we've been in this faith, Right? This is the issue we run into, and that's what we need to cover this for, is because we sometimes take those encounters, and then we walk away and we think something has changed. Either we've done something, we failed somehow, or the devil has come along, or the cares of the world have come along and convinced us that something has changed, and we're baited into this state where we believe something the devil has offered us. And he only offers us uh, one of three things. Either it's a question about God's character. Did God really say? Does he actually have your best interests in mind? A question about our own identity. If you really are a son or daughter of God. Or he just says, worship me. 
Sometimes he doesn't even beat around the bush. Just worship me. And as much as we all like to think that we don't fall for the worship me, like that seems so obvious, there is a reason that John concludes his first letter, 1 John 5.21. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. <laughs> That's the end of the letter. And, uh, and I'm, I'm skipping off ahead, so I want to keep with it. Okay. Because our hearts can so quickly transition into the worship of idols. And we don't think of it as worshiping the devil. But so quickly our hearts can go from being in a place where we reverence God and want to emulate our Father to reverencing something else and wanting to emulate that. This is the reason I actually had to stop with posting to YouTube. I don't know if you guys know, and, and, and there's a point to the reason I'm, I'm saying this. I, I posted a testimony on YouTube and it went crazy. It's over 5 million views now. So God's hand was on this testimony and, and it went out, in, it seems like, in power. And there was amazing responses. There was also amazing backlash. And, uh, and tormenting stuff, people were saying, until God delivered me from the care of it. But this is what happened. Is as soon as that momentum started going, well, I started thinking to myself, I have to keep this going. So I started doing the daily grind of making sure I, I post something here, milk something out of the spirit to offer here. And why? Why did I need to keep it going? Like, if God is on it, let God be on it. It's not up to me to build my influence. I'm not trying to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, right? I don't need Jesus to turn my life into the success that my flesh thinks it needs. And so this is how quick, this is what I'm saying. Even in ministry, right? Your heart can suddenly turn from adoration and genuine sonship, daughtership service to being about you, right? And that's little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because we are worshipful creatures one way or the other. We're going to worship something. So if you're not worshiping him, there is something else that you're worshiping. I promise you. Um, so I got to get past that. It doesn't mean that I can't ever share on YouTube. And it doesn't mean that God can't use social media and all those things. And, and I'm, that's my job. Okay. So of course I believe that God's on it and can use it. But it just means that it's always got to be about him and not about building my influence. Right? Jesus. Consider Jesus after he did the miracles. Did he, you remember what he would say, at least in the beginning. He would say to people, don't tell anyone. Can you imagine nowadays, if somebody had a miracle happen, they'd be like, screenshot it. <laughs> like, everybody get over here. Jesus is like, don't tell anyone. But he couldn't stop the word from being spread. Because the anointing that was on him is light in the darkness, right? The same way as it is for you and I. The anointing that's on you is light. In whatever way God manifests the particular giftings and measure of faith he has in you, it's light in the darkness. So we don't need to be concerned about building our influence. We need to be concerned about protecting our intimacy with God. Yes. Right? So the outward anointing is just the spirit bearing witness to an authentic relationship with himself. Right? This is my son or my daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's what's happening. When you steward the anointing within you well, the outward expression is automatic. So here was a crazy story. I'm going to tell a whole bunch of stories, like I said, and I hope, I hope that it's not an offense to you. Um, the point is to bear witness. So this is what happened. It was crazy. I was in a place where I finally realized that you could have more of God if you pursued more of God. Crazy light bulb moment for me. I had a mentor in my life. And it was brilliant. He brought me into um, these messages. The guys, the, the pastor's name was Dave Roberson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Dave Roberson Ministries. They had a prayer and power conference. And anyway, they, they had a real emphasis on the, the praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so I was doing a lot of that, an emphasis on worship and intimacy, spending private time with God, getting to know your father that way. And they had an emphasis on, on fasting. And I say emphasis, but I just mean they're trying to give you the tools to steward your anointing, right? That's a lot of what these conferences and these guys were all about. And so I'm cutting my teeth on these teachings and I'm doing it all as zealously as anybody could, right? Um, and so I don't even remember 
what day of a fast I was on. I was working at a warehouse at the time, and I'm like so tired and feel so much like death because I hadn't eaten. So I'm not like, I'm not like, yeah, on the hunt for Jesus. I'm like, oh God, like, please have mercy on me, you know? And, uh, and this girl, whose name is Mary, I find out, she has this spirit on her and it's crystal clear. There's this lusty thing that's on her. And it's not to judge her, it's to say like, whoa, that is something that's on you that's operating in you. And the reason I say that is because it manifested itself, right? I don't even remember, and there's kids in the room, so I won't say all the things that she said, but it made itself known, right? I don't even know who this person is, and the first words out of her mouth are revealing of that, right, is my point. And so I am trying, as a guy who's trying to consecrate himself to the call, to sort of keep my distance from this particular person, right? I'm not in judgment of her, but I'm guarding my own heart, right? Um, Because I have a gnarly history. And so there I am, thinking I'm all by myself, and she sort of pops up out of nowhere and surprises me. And uh, and she says, what's your name again? And I said, it's Jonathan. What's your name? That's when she tells me, it's Mary. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm shocked that she's actually having a normal conversation this time. So I don't feel the sense of, like, urgency to get away. She's having a normal, it's like she's respecting that I don't want to go there. And, uh, and I said, Mary, well, that's a very, very nice name. Did you know um, Mary is in the Bible? And she goes, yeah, that's right. My friends always tell me that she's the prostitute. And right away, I'm like, that's it. You identify because no one's ever told you the rest of the story. You identify as Mary the prostitute. But I, and then I went ahead and told her, I was like, but that's not it. She was the first person to see Jesus raised from the dead the first person to go out and tell everyone that the Lord had been raised. And so she's like, oh, I never knew that. I never thought about that. And I went, went, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like, there it was. Got to bear witness. You know, man of power, all tired and floppy. And And I start to bolt away as fast as I can. And as I'm bolting away, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit is like, I wasn't done talking to her yet. And I said, if I'm going to go back over there, Lord, you need to give me something so tangible to make sure she knows that I'm not just coming back over to flirt or continue a conversation for my own sake, right? And I sit there, literally, I pulled out a piece of paper, and he said uh, five specific things. The first one, I think, was, um, you have a sister. She's a little younger than you. She's like your best friend. And then I saw a picture of, it was like a family tree, and her father was missing. It was a black box and her mom was there. So I wrote that down. And then it was, that's the root cause of this brokenness and why people have, you know, guys have exploited you, taken advantage of you. I wrote it down. Um, there was one other thing I can't remember. And then finally, the name Katie just bubbled up in my spirit. I'd never gotten anything that specific in my heart for anybody ever before, right? And so I'm thinking this is either amazing or I'm need to go have a nap and finally just eat something. And so I literally wrote from Jesus on the bottom, folded this up just so she would know. It's not, this is not about me flirting with you or anything. Put it in my back pocket and I thought to myself, I'll go and I'll share these words, I'll begin to share these words with her. If they're right, I will say, this is from Jesus. If they're wrong, I will do Jesus the favor of admitting that that had nothing to do with him. And uh, so I go back up And I tell her straight up, like, I really felt like the Lord put these things on my heart um, when I walked away, and I need to share them with you. I started to to talk about it. And as I started to go down the list, everything was right. And at first, I could see it was like, she didn't really know why I was back talking to her. But then by the third thing, the her face completely changed. She recognized that something unusual was happening. And by the fourth thing, I was like so excited and so relieved that it was all right. And so I went to give it to her and I saw the name Katie on the bottom. And I said, oh, that's right. And the last thing is Katie. The Lord said the name Katie. Does that mean anything to you? She said, that's my sister. That's my sister who's a little younger than me who is my best friend. And so I gave it to her and I scrambled away again, and I fell down behind a pallet, and I wept in the presence of God for a while, right? Um, And this anointing that we have, the whole reason I'm sharing this with you is I couldn't manipulate God to do what I wanted him to do. 
I couldn't get him to play my game. There's a guy over there in a wheelchair. There's a person over here with this issue. And I want so badly for him to do what I want him to do, which is manifest these healings, manifest this or that. The last thing I wanted to do is associate with this woman. And that was the very thing that he wanted to do. So the anointing isn't something you can harness and take. He's not a dog you can take for a walk. We're the dog he takes for a walk, right? And so pretty incredible. The expression of Christ in me might look different than it does in you. So for me, I have always found as I pursue this intimacy with the Lord, the expression has that prophetic bent to it. And there's, and there's some other things that have popped up that I'm so grateful for. But for you, maybe it won't look like that. Glory to God if it does, but glory to God if it doesn't. Maybe some of you are CEOs. And, and as almost strange as that seems, the more you cultivate your intimacy, the more clarity you have about operating a business, right? And, and, and it might sound strange, but there's any number of giftings. There's teaching. I've got, there's a teacher right there. And he happens to be a teacher right there, right? But, but David's calling as a teacher might have different manifestations than my calling as what seems to be. There's a little bit of a prophetic bent to it. Anybody can access any of the gifts. I totally believe that because it's the same spirit who gives them all. The same spirit that's inside of you and working one set of gifts on the norm is the one that's working the same, the different set of gifts in me. He can do it. But the emphasis for you and the design God has for you might be a little different. Um, but the same thing is the end result. And in Acts 4.13, it says that they were astonished when they were looking at uh, James and Peter and John, I think it was, when they looked at them and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And that is the fruit. Whatever your area, whatever your calling, whatever the manifestation, the anointing, ends up having people bear witness, they've been with Jesus, right? They're abiding in him and bearing the fruit that he's designed them to bear. So, and today he wants us all to embrace the spirit we've been given, the anointing we have received. It is God himself at work in us, revealing his love to us and through us. So Ephesians 3, 16 to 19 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness of God. It's interesting that he says to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that's what we were talking about before is that everything is in here, in your spirit. Your mind is always being transformed. So you know it when you, you know it by, a, the, and the people might find fault with this, the experience of God's spirit pouring his love into your spirit helps you to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, Right? Um, and so this is the thing that I want for us to lay hold of so bad, this father. And he wants to be your father in a way that you might have no framework for. He sent the spirit of adoption to show you everything. John 16, 13 to 15, because I'm going to tell these stories. I'm trying to couch everything on the word here. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. So one question is, how do I receive that spirit? Or how do I know if I already have received that spirit? And I'm so excited to comfort you this morning with these facts. John, in 1 John 2.23 says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is the point. When you receive the Son, you receive the Father. You have fellowship with God exactly the same way as Jesus did through the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. And I'm going to say that again. When you received the Son, when you looked at Jesus... When God revealed that this is the Son of God who died for my sins, and when you said, that is it, that is Lord, 
Like, this is it. Jesus, when you received him, you simultaneously received the Father because Jesus is the door, the only door to the Father. And when you receive Jesus, receive the Father, it's manifested through the same spirit that Jesus' relationship with the Father was manifested through. You have that same anointing that Jesus walked in. So he's the one who is fully revealed. God is fully revealed in the Son. If you wonder how God feels about you, and I've said this so many times before uh, in, in uh, the pre-service, <laughs> little tidbits, but if you wonder about how God feels, you look at Jesus. This is the God, the Father, the anointing, the Spirit that is in you and with you and is jealous over you. The expression, if you're wondering, like, what, what is he thinking? How does he feel? He's the one that held nothing back to redeem you. He's the one that said, yes, I have these 99 and I love them, but I will not rest until I have that one that went astray. I will not stop until I have that one back. And whatever it costs me, I will pay the price for that one to be restored. That is the father's heart for you. So how much more, like Paul says, having now been reconciled, will we walk in this newness of life, right? It's not, it's not even a question in God's heart anymore. He's not ever, sometimes we walk wondering if like, okay, well, if I mess up this many more times, right? And this is where the cloud comes in. It's like, man, God, I really messed up. Sometimes he even tells us what to do and we do something different. And then we're like, well, surely now, right? But remember what Jesus said to Peter. Peter's like, how many times should I forgive my brother? Let's be real here. There's gotta be a line that once you cross, that's it. And uh, he says, seven times, <laughs> perhaps? I don't know why he comes up with that number. Seven times, perhaps? That sounds like a reasonable amount of times to forgive someone. And Jesus says, not seven times. I tell you, seven times 70. 70 times seven times. And that's not a specific number. He's just trying to make a point. He says, if your brother comes back to you seven times in a day and says, please forgive me for the way I jacked up in our relationship, forgive him. And so Jesus isn't telling them to do something that he's not prepared to do for you, right? And I'm not saying go sin. Obviously not. Because sin is, is violence to our intimacy with God. I am saying that the moment your heart turns back to Jesus, his arms are open to you. He's not going to back away and back down. And he knows us so well. I didn't expect to go here just yet, but this is, this is a perfect time for it. There was another incident uh, when my heart was completely broken. And I was not fasting because I wanted to be fasting. I was fasting because I couldn't eat. And I was just grieving, basically, the death of a relationship, right? And, uh, and I'll get to this part of the story later on and explain how I ended up there. But glory to God, if you're fasting because you are disciplining yourself or if you're just grieving, the effect is the same. I don't know. I'm not, it's amazing to me that when you tear the veil of the flesh, one way or the other, you're pretty much going to encounter God. And so there I am in this state, not trying to be spiritual, but, but very weak in my flesh. And the Lord, as the comforter, was there. And, uh, and he showed me this. I had my eyes closed. And I, I, was, I don't know if I was just trying to rest or what. I was in the living room just grieving, right? And, uh, and I saw this image of Michelangelo's arm painting the ceiling. And I heard in my spirit, before I painted the heavens, and then I opened my eyes and I thought, wow, something is happening. And I closed my eyes again, and then I saw a hand with a quill writing uh, notes onto a line staff. And he said, before I compose the score. And then I opened my eyes again, and, and I don't know how he worked this out. I just looked over and I saw, it's a book, it's called Redeeming Love, I think. And there's a woman in a red dress on the book, and it's all, uh, uh, it's all a story that's based on Hosea and Hosea's wife, right? And the redemption, the redeeming love of God as he buys her back. And she keeps going back and selling herself back into prostitution. And he goes and he buys her back yet again. And is so faithful until she finally receives a whole new identity because of that redeeming love, right? And so he said, before I painted the heavens, before I composed the score, and I look at this book and just like that in my spirit, he says, I paint, I imagine my bride and said she's worth dying for. 
And I thought, well, that's very poetic, so I wrote it down in my journal. But he began to teach me about love at that point. And, and that's the encouragement to you is, no matter how much you've fallen, remember the story of Hosea's wife, right? God is pursuing you, and he's not gonna stop until you get the new identity, until you understand that you don't have to live in that anymore, that you're worth more than that to him. He calls those things that are not as though they were. And so even if that's really who you were, he creates value in you. And that's what he sent Jesus to do. Um, so he's the one that sees you from afar and he girds himself and comes running to kiss you. He sings over you with gladness. John 16, 27 says, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. If it's not personal, it's not what he died for. Religion will always try to put barriers back where Jesus came to tear down every single wall. You notice that? So religion will always put another intermediate there. But Jesus is the only intermediate you will ever need. And it's weird because he's almost not an intermediate. He himself is God the Son. He's one with God the Father and God the Spirit. So he's made it so that there is no intermediate. He wants that kind of closeness with you. So be on guard against the things that people offer in the name of religion that want to put a barricade back where Jesus suffered so much to remove every hindrance between you and himself. He's the only door. So Romans 5, 1 to 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's that anointing that we're talking about. I'm going to skip the EW tree story. Do I skip the EW? A lot of you have heard the EW tree story before. Uh, the only reason I was even thinking of sharing it is because if you're wondering where do I begin with sowing into this intimacy, this anointing, it's right here. This is the place. The same Holy Spirit that wants to have fellowship with you is the one who had fellowship with the people who authored these testimonies. So when you go here and read what these people wrote, you're encountering the same spirit. And he's the one that knows what it all means. So you go in here and, and this is the place. This is where you start and this is where you always abide. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, Jesus said, then you will bear much fruit. Right? So you abide in here. Sometimes, there's been times, guys, where I've had to, I've had to take like, I'll start at the beginning of a book and I'll read through three chapters and I'll be like, oh God, like I, I just am so dried up. I'm not, I feel like my heart is hard. Like what's wrong with me? And you just keep reading and keep reading. You don't stop until your heart remembers who he is. Don't stop until you're in the presence of God consciously, right? If you stop short, you end up leaving, like I've done this, guys, you, you end up leaving so disillusioned and wondering even more what's wrong. But if you stay in this mirror long enough, your eyes will see again, I promise you. You just have to keep going. Maybe get out of Judges and uh, Leviticus and go back to John, right? It's a, it's a safe way to go. Um, there was an amazing encounter that, that, uh, it, that you can find online, actually, if you want to see it, of how... I remember asking God, basically, the gist of it is I asked God, how do I know that this is your inspired word? Because I hear pastors saying... This was early on in my walk. I hear them saying it all the time. And he did such an incredible thing. He gave me this incredible dream and then affirmed the dream while I was in Ireland way, way later. Um, so you can find that testimony on our page, actually, if you look for my silly face in the icon, you'll, you'll see it there in our testimonies and you can hear it there. Um, but I don't have time for it today. So let's see here, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is not a respecter of persons. So when he makes that promise, it's to all draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Seek me and you will find me. I remember seeing that for the first time on a friend's wall in their apartment and being dumbfounded. I was like, God actually says that? 
Like it's like a test. It's like a, it's like a, almost like an equation. Seek me and you will find me. I'm like, well, if I were to be honest, I haven't actually sought him with my whole heart before. So all of my griping and complaining, I, I guess I don't have grounds because I didn't know he said it like this. Right? Seek me and you will find me. And he says, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. And this is where I'm going to try to power through some testimony really quickly. Because I was always broken. I was not always contrite. You can be broken and you can still be full of pride. Is the most horrendous thing. Because for the most part, everybody can see brokenness. So when somebody's arrogant and broken, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, have a little humility, right? You have no idea. You can't see yourself. And that was me as a teenager. I was so busted and broken, so insecure, so hungry for affirmation. But I didn't ever admit it. I wasn't willing to admit it. I, I, I thought my idol in those days was the affirmation of a beautiful girl. It's a typical high school guy thing, I think. But in my brokenness of, uh, and not having a father... Uh, to affirm me, it was like so amplified, it was disgusting. I would do anything, any manipulation, whatever it took to have the affirmation. I was like a leech, and it was very destructive and very toxic. Um, so God can't work with, God can work with brokenness. He cannot work with pride. And that sounds crazy, but God is all-powerful. Of course he can. It's not that he can work with pride. It's that he knows how to smash it. He knows how to break it. And sometimes when we push up against a boundary long enough in pride, and if we don't recognize God calling us away from that, he will allow something to come and break our pride, right? And that's love. It's mercy. Because you can either die in your pride, or you can be humbled. And when you're humbled, you suddenly now qualify for, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So it's like the quick it's smash. All right, here we go. I got you. Let's work this out, right? So I had so much pride in the middle of my brokenness. Um, just a, a couple of quick scriptures. These aren't any that I gave to you up there. But Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Holy smokes. I had some consequences that I reaped in my pride that were almost unbearable. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. So my humbling process was long and painful. And it was uh, probably the beginning of recognizing that I needed transformation was this evening. My mom had to drive me to the ER. I had just taken probably half a bottle or almost a whole bottle of Advil. Um, because I had just been rejected again by my idol. And idols are merciless, right? It doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter, if, so the person is not evil, but the worship of that person is very evil. Money is not e even evil. Your career that you want so bad isn't, isn't even evil. It's the worship of those things that is evil and destructive, right? And they're merciless. So when you get rejected by that job you wanted, rejected by that person you worship, you're left in despair. And that's where I was. And now I'm in the ER with my mom. And uh, they've got me drinking activated charcoal. And my stomach is absolutely on fire. And it was somewhere between heaves that I realized I don't want to die. I didn't actually want to die. I just don't know how to live. I need a father to show me how to live. Right? And so I didn't even know at that time. I wasn't aware. I didn't have the transformation in my mind to know that God was right there saying, let there be light. Let there be light. And he was going to birth his son in me. And I was in birth pains because I had already received the seed of Christ in me. At 17 years old at Camp Christian, I had received Christ. I had an encounter with God. I really did believe in Jesus. But the cares of the world were consuming me, my idol. If you don't let the love of God become your foundation, those idols will destroy you, right? They will choke the life of Christ out of you. And, and he preserved me, and I'm so grateful that he did. But it was a really painful process. And so there, yeah, if, I, if we don't let, yeah, if we don't let the seed put down roots and let the love of God become our foundation, the idols in our lives will kill us. Okay. I'm trying to jump ahead because i got to go faster to wrap this up. So as I reviewed that experience much later in the presence of God, 
he said to me this out of Ezekiel 16.6. He says, when I passed by you and saw you squirming in your blood, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you, while you were in your blood, live. So there I was writhing in pain, and God was sitting there commanding that I live and not die, right? We were all born slaves to sin and death. And here's another super interesting dream. And I'm gonna, I promise I'm going to speed through this. What happened was, this was after I started to pray with my mentor back in those days that this happened. In the dream, there was a duck that fell out of the sky into my arms. And it was wrapped in barbed wire. And have you ever seen a tree go around a, f a fence? Like, it's not... Yeah, you've seen it. The tree is growing alongside the fence, and it gets so big that it actually, like, eats it a little bit. So this duck had grown around the barbed wire. It was clearly born in bondage and grown around its bondage. And it was run through with a spit uh, like it was going to be cooked on a fire, right? And this thing fell into my lap in this dream. And then, this is very bizarre, but it came alive. And when it came alive, it tried to wiggle itself off the spit. And then it, it, it like, it was, it was kind of gross. It had this infection kind of coming out of the hole, and then finally it became clean blood, if I remember right in the dream. And then what happened is it started to fly off, and, and I looked back down as the, this is a little grotesque, I'm sorry, but the blood covered me, and as I looked back down, there was this um, dog, a border collie, in my arms. And it was the one that was bleeding. And I don't know if any of you are dog people, if you've had a dog, if you have a dog, look at you, like it loves you so much, right? Like it's just your master, right? And that's how this thing was looking at me, like I just love you so much. And it died in my arms. And I woke up from, the from that dream and the Lord showed me that I was the dumb duck and he was the shepherd dog, right? And uh, there was this allegory that Christ as the shepherd died for me in my place. I was born in bondage and his blood literally brought me back to life. And it was just a revelation of just the faithfulness of God. And so as I talk about the anointing, as we discuss this thing that the Father's given to you, just, I'm not saying that God is like a dog. You have to understand that's not the point. But we're talking about that characteristic of a faithful companion who will never leave you, never forsake you, right? Faithful unto death. And that's our shepherd, Jesus. I will never leave your side. Um, there's so much, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to get through all this. So... Uh, God did wash me from, from all that depression, uh, fear, the need for affirmation. But the process was through this intimacy and this anointing, right? Uh, I remember being down, I'm going to talk about this really quickly um, because I think there's a lot of controversy about it and it's valuable. I went down to young adults shortly after that crazy evening. It was a young adults meeting in Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, and the guys were praying for me that I would receive tongues. And they, well, they did deliverance first. And, uh, and then they're praying for me that I would receive tongues. And I started to emulate what I heard because I wanted them, I didn't want them to feel badly that I wasn't getting it. So literally, I'm sitting there going, mala, 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 mala. You know, like, I'm not, no, no, And uh, just leave me alone. Like, this is getting weird. There's a hundred hands on me, you know. And, uh, and, and, but I moved into their, like, kind of rehab house in those days. And as I was there, I remember one evening waking up to a sound. And it was the sound of my own mouth praying in tongues. I'm sitting there like, I woke myself up speaking in tongues. And so where, in this very peculiar way, it almost started off seeming like something superficial. I know for certain afterwards it became something authentic. Uh, and, and if you're wondering about tongues, of that expression of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is for your edification. Your prayer language is for your edification. I don't know of a gift that has been more instrumental in my transformation than that one. Because my mind was my biggest enemy. And Paul says, when you pray with the Spirit... The mind is not fruitful, but praying with the Spirit is yet still effective, right? My spirit prays. Sometimes it's really good to know that you can sow into the Spirit and reap 
out of that relationship with God, and it's not dependent on how much you know, right? Not dependent on your own mind to pray the right things. And that's what that gift is for. You shouldn't be freaked out by it. And, and I promise you that God wants to do it in you. And it will bear fruit in your life. The, the stuff that started to happen after I began to yield my tongue to this anointing was unlike anything that I'd experienced before that. And again, like Paul says, do all speak in tongues? No. Does it mean you don't have an anointing? Absolutely not. Anyone who has received Jesus has received the Father and received the Holy Spirit and has an anointing operating in them. But I do believe that that gift is for everybody, right? So I don't know, some of you might know this guy, Alan Taylor. Um, I know you know Alan Taylor, and that's what's so interesting is, as a way to kind of wrap this up, I want to transition to the last part. This anointing that you have is for three main things. The first is to be adopted. The first is sonship. So once you're adopted, the next thing the anointing is for is for burial. I don't know if you remember when Mary anointed Jesus. He said, she's done this for my burial. The anointing is literally come to help you mortify your flesh. And in Romans, he says this. If you're wondering if it's true, he says, whoever by the Spirit puts to death the deeds of the flesh, these who are obedient to the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. So you become a son, and the Holy Spirit helps you slay your flesh. <laughs> so it's for sonship, for adoption, it's for burial, but it's also for marriage. And that's the last thing that I want to talk about as I speed towards the end here. Um, so what happened was, after I was in that horribly toxic relationship, and, oh, dude, guys, the, the Lord actually told me no when I prayed about it, because I'd already had this measure of faith. I already had the knowledge that I could pursue God with questions, any question. So before I talked to this girl uh, way back, I literally sat and I closed my eyes. I have to tell you this because it's hilarious and horrible all at the same time. I, I closed my eyes and I said, well, I'm going to text her, but Lord, I should just ask you first. I hardly even want to. I want to do my own thing, but I'm going to ask you. So I said, Lord, before I could even say the whole word, Lord, a vision erupted in my spirit. And I saw, the, I saw the Lord. I saw Jesus, but he looked like he was 60 years old and he had tight, tight, curly hair with gray streaks on either side. And he was wearing a red robe. And just like that, boom, he's right there in front of me. And he said, no. And then boom, the vision is gone. And what did I do? That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus, right? So I went ahead and I messaged this girl. Two years, $10,000 ring and a heartbreak later. Uh, I'm yelling at God like it's his fault. You know what I mean? Uh, but this is what's crazy about that whole Jesus as a 60-year-old man thing. After a few weeks of courting that girl, dating that girl, whatever you want to call it, it wasn't consecrated, so I shouldn't say courting. Uh, I go to finally meet her grand. Her grandparents had basically adopted her because she went through some abuse as a young girl and got out of her, her parents' house. I go in to meet Grandpa Jim, basically her father figure for the first time. What does he look like? about a 60-year-old man with tight, curly, curly hair with gray streaks on either side. He's wearing nothing but red basketball shorts. And so there was fear and trembling. And yet, I was like, I'm committed to this thing now. Like, I'm already in, right? And uh, I really believe it was the mercy of God at the end of that. Like I said, there was a smashing and a breaking so that I could experience his mercy and have the thing that he actually planned for me, right? So in my brokenness, in my broken-hearted state, that's where that whole vision happened with the redeeming love, right? I imagined my bride and said, she's worth dying for. The Father, that same anointing, was beginning to teach me what it meant to love, to teach me what it was really like. God is an expert at love, right? He knows more than anyone how to pursue a bride. And he was beginning to teach me as a son, how to embrace that part of my calling. Everybody's calling is different. Maybe this isn't what God has for you, right? But if marriage is what he has for you, you better to believe that anointing is going to prepare you for what he's called you to, right? So here's my father teaching me about this redeeming love, patient love, love that endures, love that's not self-seeking, right? And so anyway, I had that encounter. And then I went to Oklahoma for this prayer and power conference. These guys that are very big on 
uh, praying in the spirit, fasting, worship, all this. And down there is where I meet this guy, Alan Taylor. And I instantly love this guy. I, he has no idea, probably to this day he has no idea, that I've listened to probably hundreds of his teachings, literally, and that I viewed him at that time like a spiritual father. But he's down there having no idea, and I didn't idolize him, but I admired him deeply in a healthy way. And he's down there, and lo and behold, he's the one that gets to pray for me when I go up to be prayed for, because now I'm dealing with depression again, dealing with rejection again, feeling suicidal again, even though I know God by now. So I'm holding on to my lifeline. I go up in the, in the prayer line, and this guy, Alan Taylor, says to me, you need to give God a year off of dating. He says, just let him starve to death that root inside of you, that need for affirmation. Just let him starve it to death. And after a year, then even, just even ask him what he wants to do from there. And I was like, that's crazy. I've been dating since I was in third grade, man. And so, like committed, you know? Telling girls I love them since sixth grade and, uh, and being a psycho. <laughs> that was my stronghold, right? Literally speaking. And so he says this, I, I do it, right? And I, I have a segue here. I'm going to skip all this because this is really cool. Here we are. Here's Alan Taylor. I do it. And after a year, I meet a gal on Instagram who happens to be doing the same thing. She's been giving God, God led her to give him a year consecrated, no dating. And she is from Grand Prairie. Yeah. So I fall in love with that girl. And, uh, and it was crazy because when I finally went to propose, Mama Jo said to me on the phone, knowing that I was coming up to propose to her daughter, I really feel, and she has an anointing from the Holy One, and she has a prophetic utterance. She said, I really feel that God has a surprise for you on your way up here. Uh, and that God's going to meet you in a special way on your way up here. So I put that in the bank. Uh, and on the way up, I took a picture of the jet that landed in Toronto. And I posted to Facebook. And I said, I'm coming up to Grand Prairie to finally, uh, I didn't give away that I was proposing, but to see my love, you know, all this stuff. And who comments on that post but Alan Taylor from Oklahoma. He says, oh, that's awesome. I'm from Grand Prairie. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not only that, but after I get up here, and Julianne and I are married, and we further uncover what else God has for us, I come to VMTC, the Bible school, and I'm in class. You probably remember all this, Pastor Paul. And I get back from the bathroom to hear Pastor Paul and your daughter Rachel talking about Al Taylor. And I'm like, who is Al Taylor? When you say that, do you mean Alan Taylor? And they say, yes, he did youth for us, right? back, back He was doing youth at some point, is what you were saying. Um, so come to find out this guy who I looked at like spiritual family, whether or not he even realized it, I have inherited his spiritual family in being obedient to the commandment the Lord gave him to me prophetically to abstain for a year. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. This is what's crazy is he actually said, I remember in one of the conferences, if you pray in tongues a lot, God will give you a pretty wife. And... Uh, <laughs> So for those young guys out there watching, I don't necessarily think that was a joke. <laughs> because the anointing prepares you for what you're called to, right? So the anointing and praying and consecrating myself prepared me for this which I now have received, which is not just this beautiful bride, but everything. This is why I was, we I was over there, I don't know if you guys saw, just weeping when Pastor Charlotte was talking about Abraham stepping out in faith, leaving what he knew to inherit what he didn't know. And that a key was Sarah. A key in his receiving that was Sarah. And by my covenant with my wife, I have received more I can't even explain, right? That's how I'm here. That's how I ended up in this, even in this place, in the school, in this position, in this ministry. And God put all these things together because the anointing that he's given me is working it out yes. step by step, right? And he's given you that same anointing for whatever you are called to. And I think we're going to have to wrap it up. I, I wish I could go through all this other stuff, but I, I don't think we even have time. The last thing, I will say this last thing regarding marriage, because that was the, and it's such an important thing, because the anointing is for sonship, for adoption, daughter or sonship. 
It's for your burial, and it's for your marriage. And this is the last revelation that I want to share with you, uh, and the last kind of testimony, too. When I met Juliana for the first time, we were at Art Life Camp, and I remember being so scared that I was going to go through the hurts that I went through before, right? And just, oh my goodness, I can't even explain. It was almost too much because I was allowing my heart to be extended towards her. And yet it was like, oh, I cannot go through that again, you know? Uh, and so dealing with that, she recognized it. And we prayed together one night before we went to sleep. We were teaching a dance track at an art life camp, at a youth camp. So I go and I'm sleeping in the, the guy's dorm. And so I've got a little buddy with, with me in that dorm. He's asleep over here. I'm trying to sleep in my bed. And I, I had just about fallen asleep when all of the sudden I see, J this is crazy, I see Juliana's face glowing with the glory of God coming down from me, for me like this. And I hear bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And I snap to, and I'm like, get behind me, Satan. Like... I don't have idols anymore. Like, this is crazy. I am crushing way too hard on this girl right now. And I try to go back to sleep. And it happens again. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's getting closer to me. And, God, and it's like the light of God's glory literally is on her face. And I, I get up, same response. Like, oh, bro, you got to calm down. I go to sleep again, and it happens a third time. And this time I say, Lord, what are you doing? Like, what is this? Is this woman really going to be my wife. And I, it's like I came to terms with it, and then I went to sleep again, and then I had this dream where she was standing in a black dress, weeping, and she said, please give me purity. Please give me holiness. And so I woke up realizing that God's answer to me about this woman was, yes, it's blessed. Yes, this is for you but you need to steward it differently than you've ever stewarded anything before, right? There is an anointing on this that makes it different. So the anointing for sonship is the same anointing for burial, to die to yourself so that you can be consecrated for this marriage, right? That's the testimony part that I want to say, but this is the revelation part that blows my mind. The scripture that he was quoting in that moment, the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh, is from Genesis, right? Where God has now created Eve out of Adam. He puts Adam to sleep. He takes the rib and he fashions the woman because there was no suitable helper found for Adam before. Now he fashions this woman out of his side and he presents her to his son and he says, at last. Can you just imagine that for a minute? He says, at last. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so this woman that God had given to him was the suitable helper that he was destined to marry. Now check this out. Jesus is the second Adam, right? And some of you, maybe you've already had this revelation, but this hit me like a brick. Jesus is the second Adam, gets put to sleep and they stick him in the side. And out of his side flows blood and water. And by that blood and water, we are born again. And God fashions for his son a suitable helper, a bride. There is no suitable helper found for the son of God anywhere, but from his side. From his own side, God fashioned a bride. And when Jesus looks at you, he says, at last, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This anointing that God has given you is for your adoption. It's for your mortification that you could die to the flesh and live to the calling of God on your life. And it's for your marriage because soon we are going to literally be married to the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world for you. Amen. So that's, that's everything. But I'm just going to pray, and we're going to have the worship team come up. And we love you guys so much, and I'm so grateful that you endured with me, especially with the kids. Don't hinder the little children. Let them come to me, right?
And so thank you, Father. God, thank you so much. Uh, I just want you to know that if there's any part of this that you feel God was tugging on your heart and you need more ministry, uh, I want to pray for you. If there's anyone else here that can pray um, to pray for these people and our brothers and sisters, then I want to do that. Um, but otherwise, thank you guys so much. So God, thank you. God, thank you for this, this uh, anointing that you've given us that's real. It's not counterfeit that the moment that we received your son, we received this anointing. The moment we received Jesus, we received the Father. And we've received now this precious Holy Spirit who wants to make good on our inheritance and reveal all that Christ has paid for to us so that we could walk in the, the knowledge of the love of God that surpasses knowledge so that we could walk experiencing the fathering of God through the Holy Spirit. And God, we know that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And that when you've made up your mind in the garden, Jesus, you said, if there's any other way, and yet you found no other way and you went through with it anyway. So it's finished. It's finished now. God's not changing his mind. This anointing that he's given to you He's not taking it back from you. And anything that the devil tries to offer that's contrary to that is a lie. So Father, thank you for this anointing that teaches us all things. Thank you for finishing what you started in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.